You know, sometimes when we sing these songs, I feel, when I reflect when I sing these songs, that I'm not worthy to sing it because these songs are written by the psalmists themselves that you are, I love you, Lord, with all my strength. I love you, Lord, you are my shield, you are my rock. How many of us can truly sing it right from the depth of our hearts, as Michael just now said, that we really worship you, Lord, from the depth of our hearts? But there are times where there are, especially when the rubber hits the road, as we commonly call it, turbulent times where the the world seems to be in turmoil. And these are difficult times when we really be challenged, our faith be challenged, and we be asked, do we really mean what we say? Do we walk the talk? Just recently, to the south of Malaysia, there is this Australian bushfires that began in August 2019 and intensified right through until the beginning of this year. Though annual bushfires are common in Australia, but this was an especially huge, humongous one because of the dry climate. It is estimated as of January 2020, he has destroyed 18.6 million hectares of land, over 6,000 buildings, and killed at least 34 people. One billion animals too. For those who are animal lovers out here, have also been killed. The cost of dealing with bushfires is expected to exceed 4.4 billion, and the tremendous losses have been accrued, are still accruing. Emergencies were declared in several states, and there seems to be no end to this crisis. But unexpectedly, just a week ago, on the 7th of February, a torrential rain swept across eastern and southern states of Australia, putting out one-third of the fires of the 62 fires. 22 were put out, leaving only about 40 fires still raging, or even in a smaller scale. In the midst of this controversy, in the midst of this crisis, there was one man who was caught in the middle of it. His name is Scott Morrison, the current Prime Minister of Australia, who also happens to be the first Pentecostal Prime Minister of Australia. How did he respond to the crisis? To the north of Malaysia, another catastrophe took place, almost concurrently with a bigger impact. And you know what it is, right? With a far greater loss of lives, strain on resources, and far-reaching global impact, affecting practically everybody. Even our own lifestyle here in Malaysia has been affected. Even people away as far away as in America, South America, have been affected by it. It's a coronavirus or the COVID-19 epidemic originating in China. In a short span of just slightly more than a month when it was first diagnosed or detected to its present crisis status of global awareness in impositions of numerous global restrictions on travel, on health, there's been 64,500 confirmed cases as of yesterday and 1,383 deaths, but of which 99% happened in China. In comparison, the 2002 global SARS claimed only 774 lives. The Chinese government did everything humanly possible to try and contain this health crisis through early reporting, working with WHO, quarantining entire cities and regions, and deploying loads of health and human resources. There is yet another man who is deemed ultimately responsible not for starting it, but for managing this crisis, the Chinese Premier Xi Jinping. He's head of the Communist Party of China. He's one of the most powerful men on earth as head of the world's next superpower. And since he came to power in 2013, he made wide-reaching reforms in the Politburo for getting rid of corruption 
as well as getting rid of rivals. How did he respond to the crisis? But interestingly, there was yet another Chinese national caught up in controversies in the midst of this crisis. And many of you would have heard of his name, Li Wenliang. How many of you heard of Dr. Li Wenliang? At least two-thirds of you all would have heard of him. He was just a little-known young ophthalmologist serving in the Hunan General Hospital until the end of December when he noticed several patients simultaneously were tested positive for coronavirus-like or SARS-like virus. It wasn't known as COVID-19 then. And he warned his family and friends through WeChat, but he was admonished by authorities for whistleblowing, for spreading false news. But by then, the coronavirus infections were reaching epidemic proportions. What did Dr. Lee do? Three different individuals on two major worldwide upheavals. They're not only rocking individuals, but nations and communities. I've not even begun to mention the anti-China protests in Hong Kong that plunged Hong Kong into sociological and economical uncertainties. The 40,000-plus Amazon rainforest wildfires in October 2019 that destroyed close to a million hectares of rainforests and the earthquakes and floods that hit our neighbouring Indonesia in Maluku in November and September last year and even the major floods that just only hit Jawa one month ago engulfing much of the northern and the eastern part of Jawa in floods and lives were lost and people were displaced. What happens when God shakes the heavens and the earth? How do nations and kingdoms and communities respond to this? How do individuals respond to this? How would you, if you were in it, respond to it? Our God, who though of a loving and compassionate and merciful nature, cannot deny himself of the rest of his character in being righteous, just, faithful, or covenantal. He cannot always be lovey-dovey, compassionate, and forgiving while ignoring the major shortfalls of mankind and what he's doing to the earth that he created and the people that he nurtured. As we continue to live in this fallen world, where many are still enslaved to sin, mankind's pride and greed still rear the ugly heads, ultimately resulting in the depleting of our resources, the natural resources, at the risk of major upheavals and unbalancing of worldwide ecological systems. Hence, there's pollution of air, of water, land, and depletion of the ozone layer, global warming, and major changes in both sea and land climates. What do we have then in return? global depletion of food resources, major climate changes resulting in fires, floods, earthquakes, and zoonotic infections. Infections that jump from animal to man because the animals were displaced. Never seen before with such severity and frequency. True to God's righteous and just nature, He allows the eventual outcome of mankind's failure to fulfill this responsibility as outlined in Genesis 1.15, God says to work the earth and to take care of it where God has mandated it. Thus, the crisis we see and hear and, and experience is a result of man's failure to fulfill this mandate. But don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to paint a bleak picture here or that we have a depressing future. I'm just, I just want us to get into the proper perspective of what God is trying to tell us and what men in general have been trying to fool us into thinking, the so-called experts, the scientists, the authorities, the media, they want us to believe that mankind is progressing very well 
and everything is hunky-dory. Often we are told we can make it to the stars on our own without any supernatural or extraterrestrial help. Let me tell you this coming from a scientist. That's bunkum. That's a white-faced lie that many in the world wants us to believe. When major upheavals or crises happen, it is the shaking of the heavens and the earth by Lord God Almighty. And it's not to foster suffering or pain onto us, never. It's not to foster, but it's just a wake-up call as a reminder of our folly, our ignorance and disobedience to the creator of mankind and of the entire earth. To remind us of even his faithfulness, his presence and covenantal love, despite the adverse circumstances. Again, the most important thing is, how would you respond in such situations? Would you rely on the best of your own abilities and thumb your nose at God saying, I don't need you, I'm doing very well on my own, thank you? Or, it's not my fault, it's His fault. He did it and therefore, that's why these things happen. Or would you stand firm in the face of adversities, having sought God's face and to put on the full armour of God, knowing that in doing so, the full resources of heaven backs you up? Or would you speak up and act in truth in a maelstrom that's building up, even to the detriment of your own or even your loved one's safety and well-being? But before you come to a reasonable answer or decision, you have to be aware who or what you base your foundational beliefs and your stand on, where your resources are coming from, and from what and what outcome will your actions lead you to. While the storm of global upheavals rage around us, it is no coincidence we are also looking into God's word through Haggai concurrently. We have been looking into how Haggai the prophet has been warning and yet encouraging the people of Israel to honour God and put Him first despite the adversities they faced, the challenges of wanting to restore past glories and uncertainty the future holds for them. In this next two portion of Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 to 9 and 20 to 23, that we're going to read soon, I would like you to be drawn into the wonder of God's sovereignty over all the situations that we see around us. So that end of the day, you can be assured that our future remains certain in Him. I would also like you to realize that in the midst of these sometimes overwhelming situations, like in the song that we just sang, the very last song we sang, I will not be overwhelmed. These situations that involve nations and community, God still takes a personal interest in you, in being with you and supporting you. Let's read Haggai together, shall we? We have already been exploring this tiny little book by Prophet Haggai, and we were reading from chapters 1 and 2. I would just like to share with you just about seven verses today. Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 to 9 and 20 to 23. I'll put it on the screen so they can read it together, shall we? One, two. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Then in verse 20 onwards, the word of the Lord 
came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. From this passage, I believe there are three points that we can draw from it. The first, and all three points, points towards that God is sovereign. He's sovereign over the present. He's sovereign over the future. And He's sovereign over all of us. Each one of us, He takes a personal interest. That He will reveal in due course that He's the author of the shaking. And that will show the outcome of the shaking of the heavens and the earth and the purpose of that shaking. Let's start off with God being sovereign over the present. In the reading of the two passages, it is immediately obvious that God is going to shake the heavens and the earth. Not only in the times of Haggai, but throughout history. The phrase, shake the heavens and the earth, refers to God executing judgment upon the world. But a fallen world, not a perfect world. It is a continuous process. It refers to the final day of judgment and yet refers to the process that leads to it, which will accelerate as it goes towards the final day. The once more that we read in verse 6 and the I am going to in verse 20, both give us a clue as to the ongoing judgment of God executed through crises, catastrophes, wars, and so on. But we have to realize that judgment isn't a punishment, but a trial. Judgment isn't a punishment, but a trial. Take the example of a courtroom trial. The whole process of reaching the judgment at the end, the completion of the trial, requires a build-up of evidence and the courtroom tension leading to a confession or a judgment. So while the trial is on, there is still room for last-minute remorse and repentance. So as God shakes the heavens and the earth, it is a process, it is not an end point. It is a process where you are to engage and you are to respond to that process. And as a result of that, the outcome is in God's sovereign hands. The verses that we read go on to refer to the shaking of nations and kingdoms, making clear the judgments are not yet directed towards individuals, but are meant to remind nations and kingdoms about God being still sovereign. It's also meant to remind Israel and the church of today, which means you and I, that God, whom we worship, is fully in charge of these events, despite the apparent chaos they ensue. God is in charge. But in what areas that God wants to remind us that He is sovereign, as, in, as, it, as that He is in charge? Haggai mentioned two here. One is the economy of the nations. And two is the installation of governments. Where do we find that? The importance of God's role in the nation's economy is revealed when we read both Haggai, verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 together in context. This is what God says, I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations. 
I will come, and then and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. And then it goes on to say, the silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. What is desired of all nations is silver and gold. Even today, most national central banks keep their federal reserves largely in gold bullion, the amount of which determines its economic foundation. At the time of Solomon's temple, much of his natural glory was found in the 60 million ringgit or so equivalent worth of precious jewels and metals, including gold and silver, that adorn it. In King Hezekiah's time, King Hezekiah was the last king before this, the, the kingdom of Judah was taken into captivity. Emissaries from Babylon visited the temple, and you can find it in 2 Kings chapter 10, chapter 20, verse 12, sized up its worth, and then Nebuchadnezzar later captured Jerusalem and cut it off all the wealth, together with taking the Jews into exile. Up until today, the gold and the silver have remained as the desire of all nations. But the Lord says, this belongs to him. Meaning it is not for leaders and nations to own for long. You may hold it for a while, but you're only a custodian. We know that the Babylonian Empire soon fell to the Persians, and then the Persians to the Medians, and so on. In a spiritual sense, the worth of either the temple or even a nation is not found in just silver or gold or any other precious external adornments, adornments, but in the presence of the Lord God Almighty. Even before Solomon's temple was sacked by the Babylonians, the glory of the Lord has already departed from the temple. Much during the subsequent kings that came after Solomon, they did not honour God. So as our current day, in our current day, as our bodies are now temples of the Holy Spirit, our worth is also not found in outward or natural adornments, but in the hosting of the presence of God in our lives. On January 15, both Presidents Trump and Xi Jinping signed a treaty on trade concessions for both US and China hopefully signifying an end to the trade war between them that lasted almost two years and brought great economic hardship to both sides. Trade reps and business people on both sides hardly had a chance to celebrate when a fortnight later, the coronavirus epidemic broke out. The economic backlash of which threatens to scuttle the entire agreement. Such is the fragility of two superpower nations' desires when God shakes the heavens and the earth. So let us all be careful where we place our trust in, not in the external endowments, not in the precious metals, not in the precious jewels that seem so glittery, but in the midst of when God shakes the heavens and the earth, that we know where we stand and where our response is. Amen? Amen. Then there is the installation of governments. In Haggai chapter 2, verses 22, the Lord says, I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and the riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. In parallel, the prophet Isaiah concurrently released a more specific prophecy in Isaiah 14, verses 4 to 27, foretelling the downfall of three kingdoms that held the people of Judah and Israel 
God's people in captivity. Firstly, the Babylonian kingdom that took the Jews from the southern kingdom of Judah into exile. That Babylonian kingdom didn't last very long. They fell in 539 BC to the Persian king, Cyrus the Great. Then what happened to the northern kingdom? The Assyrian kingdom captured the northern kingdom and enslaved the Jews in Assyria. The Babylonians and the Medes conquered the Assyrian empire in 616 BC, again around the same time, and returned some of the Jews. Then there is a third kingdom that's mentioned in Isaiah's prophecy. You know which kingdom it is? It is not of man. It's the kingdom of Lucifer or Satan. Mentioned in verses 12 to 20. Referred to him falling from grace, where he is still allowed to rule on earth. Even today, he rules on earth for a time. But eventually, in Revelation 20, verses 9 to 10, it is prophesied and is decreed by the Lord who is sovereign that Satan will be finally defeated and thrown into the lake of fire. God Almighty, the Lord God Almighty, is sovereign and is in control. And Jesus will return as the final judge. Amen? He encourages us with this. Himself, Jesus says, You will hear of wars and rumours of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nations will rise against nations and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pangs. And again, he says in John chapter 16, verse 33, I've told you these things so that in me, in Jesus, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And it's not a very light claim that Jesus makes. He has indeed overcome the world. Because we fight not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of darkness. And Jesus has overcome it by the blood that is shed upon the cross. Amen? When, G when God shakes the heavens and earth, government or nations may rise or fall, but we are not to be perturbed. Why? Because God is in control. Amen? God is in control. We have seen how God has preserved Malaysia from almost all of the natural disasters around us, all the catastrophes we talked about earlier. He has also rescued us from long-standing corrupt government, from near bankruptcy, Surely, God must have done this for a purpose. Amen? God is very much in control and He will ensure that you and I will fulfill the destiny that He has planned for each one of us, specifically and individually, which He has ordained for each of us. Amen? Amen? That is what our God does and He is in control. Secondly, He's sovereign, not only of the present, but he's in control over the future. And because of this, we can have the assurance that our future is secure. In Haggai chapter 2, verse 9, the Lord assures us of the restoration of his glory. We have said it so often. The glory of the latter house is going to be greater than of the former house. What is this glory of the latter house and the peace that comes with it? And I believe we are already living in that fulfillment of that prophecy in having the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ within our body temples, representing the glory of the latter house. There is, of course, the glory of His sanctuary, of the church that is building, but the glory of the Lord Jesus is seen and is shining 
through each one of you. You know when a light, a pinpoint light, shines brightest? It's in the deepest of darkness. That's when it shines brightest. Each one of us is a pinpoint of light that the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ shines through. I remember there was once, I, th- I believe it was a watch night service when the lights were all switched off. Or was it Good Friday? The lights were all switched off and we were all told to put on our smartphones light and the whole sanctuary were filled with pinpoints of light and the whole sanctuary lit up. You alone may find that you are small and insignificant, but the Lord Jesus Christ, because you're all part of the Lord Jesus' body, that as He draws everyone to Himself, the light collectively, when it shines out, shines the brightest in the deepening darkness that's around us. Amen? Amen? That's what that comes with the Lord Jesus, the glory of the Lord Jesus within us. Then there is a peace that comes with knowing Jesus. It's the same peace that Jesus brought at His first coming, at His advent. At the time, He brought peace to mankind of goodwill, that is to men and women who are rightly related to God. And I want to believe we are those men and women who are in here. Am I right? We are that, made righteous by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul puts it this way, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus brought the peace that passes all understanding, which the world doesn't understand. That's why the world responds very differently, which is for every heart here today that knows Jesus and loves Him. Jesus came the first time to bring that kind of peace. In a day which is yet future, He will bring world peace the kind of peace which the world wants and yet the world hungers for and does not realize, but the world needs it. It is almost like the heavy rainfall that came in suddenly to the south and eastern part of Australia when the bushfires were raging, dousing out one third of the bushfires and bringing relief to many. Sudden, unexpected, refreshing and bringing relief. That's the peace that's promised. Wouldn't you want that peace? All you have to do is to enthrone the Prince of Peace within your heart. Put Him first above all things and that peace is yours to own today and forevermore. Amen? Verse 23 starts with on that day and not on this day. That's because it looks forward to the end times. And then the Lord goes on to say, I will make you like a signet ring. With a signet ring, being the mark and the identification of royalty. This prophecy looks forward to the day when Jesus will return to reign. And God intends to put the Lord Jesus Christ, who is after the line of Zerubbabel, upon the throne of the universe. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And He will return to the earth to rule. The prophet Haggai reminds us that Christ will be in His proper position as the moral ruler, the civil ruler, and the king to rule over this earth on that day. On December, I preached on Matthew 21 in making Jesus king. We need to reflect on what it really means to make Jesus king of our lives. With Him being the prince of peace, peace reigns. With Him being the king, He places His authority upon you when you make Him king. You wear His signet ring. And you, when you make Jesus king, make Him king right here and now, 
not wait until the millennium comes. Then, then we shall know how we should respond when God shakes the heavens and the earth. Amen? Thirdly, God is sovereign over you and I, over all of us, revealing the purpose of His shaking. At the end of the day, God is more interested in the transformation of lives, in your lives and my lives. Not merely in the nations and the kingdoms. And more often than not for the individual, the shaking of God does not necessarily come in the form of natural disasters or catastrophes. It's rather like our tropical monsoons. It starts with occasional drizzle. And then the drizzle goes on to be more frequent and heavier. And then it will go on to a violent storm. God's shakings may start off with small unfortunate incidences, like a small financial loss to you or an office problem, or an illness, or a sudden loss of a relationship. And then it will continue on to a major crisis if you do not heed God's reminder. Sometimes, it may also come suddenly and unexpectedly. Like in the case of Job of the Bible. In Job chapter 9, verses 6 to 8, the Bible says of what Job thinks. Let me read it to you first. God shakes the earth from its place and makes His pillars tremble. He speaks to the sun and it does not shine. And He seals off the light of the stars. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. All this happened after tremendous misfortune has happened upon Job. He lost his wealth, he lost his health, he lost his dignity, he lost his children, he practically lost everything except for three friends who came to talk to him and his wife. Well, they can't lose your wife. That's one thing for sure. And he was covered in sores all over. He was certainly in a very, very bad situation. Yet, in that situation, he realized that all that he had in the past was a privilege, not a right. That everything that God gave to him was not of his to own. And he deserve more of the wrath of God rather than the blessings that has been received all alone. His friends encouraged him to repent of his sins, but he was a righteous man as far as he know. It's not that he was arrogant, but he, and his wife told him to curse God and die. He did neither. He submitted himself to God's sovereignty, and he was not overwhelmed even by this most difficult of situations. In this instance to Job, when God shakes the earth to him, he speaks to Job personally, who confesses in the rest of chapter 9, he's totally unworthy of God's goodness and deserves every bit of God's wrath and longs for someone who can speak on his behalf. We have that someone who can speak on our behalf. Was Job spiritually ready for God's shaking? I put it to you, that he is, as God knows Job intimately. And he does not put anyone, whether it's you or me, through more than what we can bear. In Job chapter 1, verse 8, when God was challenged by Satan, the Lord said, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Job was considered capable and worthy in the sight of God, not in the sight of man, but in the sight of God. 
But even then, God does not leave us to our own devices. It is very assuring to know that before the Lord warns about shaking the heavens and earth, in Haggai, verse 6 itself, He encourages us all in verses 4 to 5 by this. He tells us to be strong three times. Be strong, be strong, be strong. And he also says, I am with you. When these things happen, the Lord does not abandon us. He is with you. And he, because he is covenanted with you, and as such with his backing, he goes on to say, do not fear. Do not be overwhelmed. The Lord is with us. Amen? So, now having considered God being sovereign over the present, the future, and over the individual like yourself, how would you compare yourself to the crisis responses by each of the three persons mentioned at the beginning? We have Scott Morrison, who faced the bushfire. We have Xi Jinping, who faced the coronavirus epidemic. And we have Dr. Li Wenliang, who was labelled as the whistleblower initially. One was a Pentecostal prime minister, the very first Pentecostal. Why was he called that? Actually, in his youth, he wanted to enter the seminary, but his parents disapproved of that. But throughout his career, as he rose, above, as he rose among the ranks to take the highest office in Australia, he kept to his faith. Here was a man who stood firm in the face of adversities. He sought God like David did, and he put on the full armour of God. And face, when he, he was in the midst of this bushfire, he was actually taking a holiday around Christmas. And his opponents criticised him. Why do you take a holiday with your family? But he didn't say it's around Christmas. And in the midst of this bushfire, and he had to cut short his holiday, he came back to face the parliament. Here was a man who stood firm on his principles. Here was a man who sought God for advice. Then we have Xi Jinping. He's head of a very powerful communist party, one of the most powerful political parties in the world. When there was public anger over Dr. Li Wenliang about how he was admonished for spreading news of the early detection of this coronavirus, the people were angry. The whole netizens, so to speak, of China were really upset. There were more than one million hits on, on the website. And when people were angry, what happened? Xi Jinping came and removed two of the top party chiefs in Hubei and Hunan. The regional chief and the city chief, the mayor and the provincial chief were removed. He's basically saying, it's not my fault, it's their fault. You know, he, they caused it, pushed the blame onto them. Here was a man who didn't believe in God. Yet he said, in his last public statement when he met a foreign emissary from South America, that let's treat this virus as the devil. We've got to fight the devil. But he forgot that with the devil, there is also God. Yet he never acknowledged God. He's the one that would thumb his nose at God and say, I don't need you. The third person was Dr. Li Wenliang. He took a stance. He knew what was correct. He knew what was right. And he knew that if he said something, if you say something wrong in communist China, that's it. That's the end of your career. But yet, despite that, he spoke out for truth. Despite fearing for the well-being of his family and himself. And then he went back to the front line of defence to see the patients. And that's where he contracted the coronavirus illness. Today, 
He's no longer with us. And I believe that many have said, I have not, I'm not able to verify because there's so many things flying about, but I believe it to be true. He is a Christian. And he did what is right before the sight of the Lord. Do you know the truth? You speak to the truth. And he's like Christ. He gave his life for many. There was someone who wrote a tribute uh, to, he didn't write it himself, but someone who wrote a tribute from 2 Timothy chapter 3 that says, of, I fought the good fight. I've run the good race. And now the reward is waiting for me in the presence of Christ Jesus. Will we take a stand like that? Each one chose a different stance given the different circumstances of the crisis. Many times, we are already in it without realizing it. We too need to make a stand. With whom will you make a stand? So in closing, there are actually primarily two types of responses when God shakes the heaven and earth. Very simple. One is despair in the midst of tragedy, and two is hope in the midst of despair. Why I chose these two, one is the Joker and the other is Dr. Lee, is that how many of you have seen the movie The Joker? About a quarter. Many of you are movie buffs, right? Why I chose to bring up this character is actually sad but very true in our society. Here was a man who is mentally deranged, and he was mentally deranged because right from birth there was rejection in his life. He was adopted by a mother who actually um, left the husband, and then she, she herself was mentally deranged, and she cooked up a story that she cared for this young boy when in fact he was abused by his very own mother until he grew up being mentally deranged himself. And that whole movie is about him spiraling down into numbness, into sensitivity of not sensitive at all to love or even in killing people or taking a life. That is a tragedy in his life, but he sunk into despair in the midst of tragedy. That is one way to respond in the midst of such events. The second is Dr. Lee. He was also in despair First, in being admonished and being censored by the Communist Party is something not to be taken lightly. Then, he contracted the illness. But despite that, he continued to tweet, he continued to put his posting in the WeChat to encourage others to be careful. He spoke out in truth. And today, he has become a light in the midst of the despair that the whole nation of China faces. He's become an unsung hero. Not that he wanted to be, but because he spoke up for truth, he became a hero in the midst of tragedy. He became the hope in the midst of despair. So how will you respond in times like this? Will you be the former or the latter? Let me leave you with this verse, this exaltation from the Bible. It comes from Hebrew chapter 12, verse 26. At this time, his voice shook the earth, and now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. What's natural, what's tangible, what's material, what we can see around us, the all of creation is still only temporal and it can be shaken. Unexpectedly, tremendously, any time. But what's spiritual? 
what's eternal, what's within you and I for most of us. The glory of the Lord Jesus, the peace that passes all understanding, can never, never be shaken. What would be our response to it? The answer comes when we read the whole passage in context. This was actually preached by Pastor Li Chu when she just preached in January when God speaks. In Hebrews 12, verse 25, the gist of her message is that see to it that you do not refuse Him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused Him who warned them on earth, how much less were we if we turn away from Him who warns us from heaven? But with that warning, there is also an encouragement. So let me end this message from the Lord with an encouragement. Because following Hebrews 12 verse 26 is 28 and 29. And the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. This echoes and mirrors what Pastor Chu shared on the watch night service. Race and Ebenezer. Thus far, the Lord has helped us forsake other gods. Forsake, not completely, not to give up everything, but to put others below God being sovereign. Prioritize God. Commit yourself. Serve Him. That is what the Lord tells us to do. And let us leave this sanctuary today with a message that is encouraging, that is of worth, that is eternal, that is unshakable. Though things around us crumble and tumble, we are still the unshakable. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. I'm just going to let you know that those of us who want to have prayers, be there to be some event, may not be catastrophic, but maybe some overwhelming events that you feel they are really pulling you down and you would like someone to just to share to and to pray with, I invite you to come forward as the meeting closes. It may be a family issue, maybe a work issue, a relationship issue, or personal, physical issue. Please come forward. Yes, there are some of us who are here who really want to sing up from the depths of our heart and we want to love you, Lord. But I just, just feel that the, the burden that's upon me, the weight that's upon me can be overwhelming at times. And Lord, I just want you, I just want you to take that away. If that be you in here, we just invite you to come forward. Yeah. We're going to close in a very short while. I'm going to just say the closing prayer. But today I believe that in the midst of a cyclone, in the midst of a storm, we are in the eye of the storm. And we in the shelter and safety of the Lord's presence. And it's a safe place here where you can pour out all that is within your heart before the Lord. So as you do so, the music will carry on and ministry will continue to go on. And I'm going to say the closing prayer. But as you go out from this sanctuary, go and bless someone. Go and be an encouragement to someone. Be that strength. Be that peace. Be bring the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ to them. Let us pray. Hallelujah. Father, we just want to tell you that we love you from the depth of our hearts, Lord God. 
There are many times there are things around us that we don't understand, we don't comprehend, but it is you, Lord God, that sees us through without even us knowing it. We want to thank you, Lord God, that you are sovereign, that in all things, you have us in the palm of your hands, that you say to yourself, Lord Jesus, all that the Father has given unto me in the palm of your hands, no one shall likewise snatch them away. And I thank you, Lord, that every dear brother and sister who is within this sanctuary, who loves you, Father, that as they remain in the palm of your hands, Lord God, as they go forth, they may be your emissaries, they may be your minister of reconciliation, that they go out there and bring in the lost and the last and the least, Lord. We thank you, Father. We pray that the love of the Father continues to surround us. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ goes with us and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us until we meet again. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people say, Amen. Amen.